Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of Snark Studio, which today is doubling as an oven here in Washington, D.C., where the temperatures are astronomically high, um, but the IQs are nowhere nearly as high. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, <laughs> My IQ is absolutely higher than Wait the temperature in Fahrenheit. <laughs> Not At least here in, Celsius. in the studio. I meant Washington generally. Of course, Rosa Brooks, who is here, has an IQ that I will vouch for is always higher than the temperature as is Joe Serencioni's and uh, Corey Shockey off in England where the temperature is always lower than Donald Trump's IQ, um, which, or not minute. always, <laughs> like doing quick calculation there, um, in Celsius. Yes. Uh, okay. So, hi, everybody. Um, let's start in a really, really nerdy vein. It's great to have... Joe here from the Plowshares Fund, and Joe just wrote an article which leads us into a few of the things I wanted to talk about today because it's a birthday. And Joe, I wanted to you know I wanted to know if you were going to sing Happy Birthday <laughs> to the NPT here for all of us. Well, the I, I, if I had the voice, I would because we should be celebrating the Non-Proliferation Treaty's fiftieth birthday. Uh, you know, deep state radio nerds out there, that's what they're celebrating. <laughs> you will see tomorrow on Twitter there will be little cupcakes, little cupcakes with candles. Happy fiftieth, and little empty small mushroom boxes clouds of former wine box. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So tell me. You, what is there to celebrate about this agreement that nobody cares about anymore? First of all, we're still here. Hey, we, we, care. we, I care. we are st- a large part of the reason that we are here is because uh, liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans, worked for years to create a system of restraint Joe, to you stop don't, you the don't spread. You don't mean here in the third sub basement of the Ministry of Snark. You mean like here on this earth, here alive, here breathing, okay. celebrating, counting, <laughs> snarking. Yes, yeah. all those things is because uh, we don't have to. We don't have the world that John F. Kennedy feared. In, in the 60s when he thought there might be dozens of nuclear weapon states, large and small, stable and unstable, responsible and irresponsible. And we don't have that. We have nine, which is a lot. And we have 14,000 nuclear weapons, which is a lot. But there used to be but some 20. most of those are in the hands of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> about half. About half. The, the other good the news other is half. a lot of them don't work. <laughs> right. The things we have to worry about is that Putin has about half the world's no- weapons and the U.S. has about the other half. Right. And there's about a thousand or so that the rest of the countries which, divide which up. Which means Putin has all of them, basically. <laughs> in the chain of command. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. But we don't have... Um, 
Germany doesn't have a bomb. Germany, uh, Japan doesn't have the bomb. Sweden doesn't have the bomb. You know, a lot of the countries that were not just rogue states, but our allies were all looking at nuclear weapons when Kennedy worried about this 15 years after the end of World War II. And they designed something to stop it, an international system of law. Law. And, and nor- norms. Yeah, I like the way Joe looks at me when I, he says I that. I do. He said law, and then he thought <laughs> law, norms. same law. <laughs> norms. And he thought of Corey, norms. N- n- norms <laughs> and international cooperation that stopped the spread of these weapons and set up a diplomatic mechanism that could um, encourage and monitor their decline. Well, that's great. I'm feeling really good about that. Except... For a couple of things, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, here comes the fine print in this celebration. <laughs> well, look, look, why should I Why should I lead the conversation? Corey, what's one thing that you're not celebrating today about the 50th birthday of the NPT? Uh, the fact that the United States withdrawal from the Iranian nuclear agreement could well precipitate its collapse. That's, a, that's exactly right. Bing! <laughs> we get that. Could, we, could we not celebrate the fact that our intelligence community thinks that the North Koreans, surprisingly enough, are not actually going to nu- denuclearize? Bing! Those were <laughs> the two that I was thinking of. <laughs> and, well, here's one more that we're not celebrating is nuclear reductions have stopped. And nobody is yes. reducing anymore. In fact, every nuclear-armed country is building new nuclear weapons. So those are the three big things no, you no, worry no, about. No, no, I've got another one, and that oh. is that the United States seems to be systematically withdrawing from all of well, our international that, agreements well. and treaties and pulling the rug out from the entire international system that we created, which, of course, led to the NPT as well as the other multilateral agreements that we have. And we seem to be... reversing that trend and actually working against those agreements. That's exactly right. And I was just reading on the way over here, Rosa Brooks' new very wonky article. Wow, uh, Rosa. uh, On this. Wonky. uh, Which is terrific. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is your article for the military academy. It's not actually new. It's it's actually the scary thing about it. It was just printed. Two years ago. (laughs) I know. I was just sitting around doing nothing and I thought this article ought to do some work and earn its keep. The problem was she wrote it two years ago but she ran out of printer paper. (laughs) That's exactly right. Right. But the really depressing thing about it was that although it was written almost two years ago, um, I only had to change like one sentence. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, you, you were clairvoyant. <laughs> Rose's article. Well, that's because pessimism that was the Obama turns out to be right. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, wow. Rosa, there's a mug for you, everybody. Pessimism yeah. always turns out <laughs> so, to be right. So Rose's article is about the, the problem of the gray zone, of, uh, of, of, of things like, uh, uh, like cyber warfare that fall in between established law and diplomatic norms. And how do you deal with this? And at the conclusion of the article, one of the things she says is it's essential to strengthen those norms, to keep this global order. And this gets to your point, David. This is exactly the opposite of what our president is doing. He is systematically taking a wrecking ball to the long-established norms, orders, alliances, and there's no no evidence that he's going to stop doing that yeah, anytime. No, i got to tell you something. You know, one of Corey's catchphrases here is, that's a visual we could do without. Donald Trump naked on a wrecking ball. Uh, <laughs> a la Miley Cyrus singing wreck, wrecking ball. I know what you were talking about. Do we have visuals in this podcast? I just hung up. <laughs> oh my God. That should become the, you know, if only, if why, only, if why, only we had a website, we would put that on. Why hasn't somebody done this? I, I don't know, Rosa. Why hasn't somebody done this? This is. 
This this is no this comment. is your this is your business. Well, Corey, let me go to you and 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 let's drill down a little bit on these things. Not too long ago, the president of the United States went to Singapore and solved the problems with North Korea and came back and said we have no nuclear problem with North Korea. One of the things that has struck me is that in the past couple of weeks as we've actually seen pictures and other forms of evidence of the fact that the North Koreans are not only doubling down on their nuclear program, but also on their missile program, the White House hasn't said anything. There has not been a peep of protest out of the White House. And I'm just wondering, do you think this is our new policy of just declaring problems over mm-hmm. and moving on? Or what, you know, what, what, where, where, what do you think the origins of this are? I think the president doesn't want to admit that he's been taken to the cleaners because that returns us to the position North Korea's nuclear and missile tests, along with Donald Trump's intemperate outbursts, took us to, which is the president has a policy of either North Korea voluntarily disarming or us conducting a preventative military attack on North Korea that would be disastrous for all concerned. And the president, you know what it is? When I was a little kid and I was in trouble, a not infrequent occurrence in the Shockey tribe, I would close my eyes because I thought my parents couldn't see me if I had my (laughs) eyes closed. And that's what Donald Trump is doing on North Korea. He's trying to pretend that this isn't happening because... He put his foot into a wolf trap, um, and and I think deep down he doesn't actually want to fight the most brutal war that that this country will have been engaged in since at least Vietnam. Joe, I just I sense from your side that you have something to say here. I, I have a contrary point of view. I, th- I think it's too what? soon to make that assessment. Yes, yes, that's what Donald Trump is doing. He's he's declaring his reality rather than than reliably interpreting the reality that that we see, but it actually I think this still might work. Uh, I share your concern, I share your doubt, and in the nonproliferation community there is a big debate about this at the moment when most siding on 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 the side you just articulated Corey that this he's been taken to the cleaners. But Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is heading back to North Korea uh, next week. His teams are there now. They are trying to make this deal. There's nothing inconsistent with Kim continuing work on the nuclear complex because we don't actually have a deal yet. So he, he, he only benefits by increasing his, the value of his chips by, by physically increasing his nuclear capabilities. Um, there's some thought that this whole thing didn't might be arranged. That, didn't to, he say he was freezing the work on these things? No, he did not. That oh, was the one freeze him. we didn't get. What we got was we got a freeze on missile tests. We got a freeze on nuclear tests. We got a pledge not to export. But there was no freeze on production, which is the element that was missing all along. But I and, thought we So he's not violating some, anything yet. I also yet. thought we had some evidence that he was reinvesting in some missile uh, uh, testing or development capacity in the past uh, couple of days. I, it's 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 uranium enrichment. So these are the no, stories. No, I saw that. So these I are the big stories. Another, I thought there was another. Not one. missile yet. Not that I know of. So yeah. l- 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 let's see. There's actually some thought that 
it's in the administration's interest to delay any big news from Kim until closer to the uh, November elections. So wait until the end of August before uh, making a big new announcement about this. So it's totally possible Kim is just completely playing us. It's hard to see how that ends. Okay, David now has some visual evidence that there is actually some some investment going on on the yes, nuclear test Well, you test know, this site. is the deep state. You, <laughs> you, know, you're, you have good intelligence sources here. <laughs> yeah, right. Our spy satellites so, never uh, sleep. I, I just missed that one. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, yes, there's a, the, the, what, what, what it is, and there's a story from in one deep state outlet called the CNN and another called the Wall Street Journal um, that North Korea's... Uh, uh, building missile plants. There, there is construction going on I, at their missile plants at the moment. In a, now, there could be a negotiating tactic. You're absolutely Well, remember, right. they, they pledged to stop the, the Test, testing of long-range missiles. They said nothing about short and medium-range. Right. So Which, a, of course, Trump doesn't care about, even if the Japanese really, <laughs> well, really and, do. And, right? and, of course, if the, if the North Koreans have calculated, have made the Corey calculation, yes. right? If the North Koreans have calculated that Trump, in fact, doesn't care what they do he only cares what he he can say and he can say whatever he feels like saying regardless of what they're doing then the north koreans might be correctly calculating that they can carry on doing whatever they want because it doesn't matter and trump will declare victory regardless so they might as well keep going so Corey, this is the so the best case scenario that this cheery group here has and you're the holder of the tr of optimism though it sounds to me like you're i think i have that no i was about to say (laughs) come on i am grabbing it Joe's got the TR on today. Yeah, no, and by the way, it looks great. But um, sparkles, it's sparkling here in the studio, even though all the lights are off to bring the temperature down to about 106. But in, in any, in, it's it's a little creepy actually. But in any event, um, Corey, the best case scenario that we've come up with here is that the North Koreans are building missile plants and they're uh, redoubling their their um, uh, nuclear. Uh, enrichment capabilities as a negotiating ploy so that they can deal with that later in the year. That's the best case. Yes, but... But, yes, go on. You go go ahead with that but. uh, But, as I understand it, and Joe, please correct me, because you're more carefully attentive to this than I am. Apparently Um, not. I missed the missile construction. My understanding is that What the White House has been saying is that there will be no lifting of sanctions until complete and verified denuclearization. And if Kim Jong-un is making, is continuing with production because that wasn't Mm -hmm. constrained, two things uh, leap to mind. First, we did get taken to the cleaners. uh, And second, he is continuing production in order to uh, wring more um, Mm -hmm. concessions out of the White House, which would include ending sanctions beforehand, right? If we want to limit on production. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I mean. He's increasing the value of his chips. He's increasing his negotiating position. So, well, you guys are all experienced deep staters and have all been involved in negotiations of one sort or another. Uh, Rosa, most recently with your kids, but with others. Um, <laughs> Which is always, I always thought that was very good preparation for multilateral treaty negotiations. Yeah. Or, <laughs> right. Or they're a little old to be good preparation. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> well, they're, they're a little old to be good preparation for dealing with negotiating with Trump, but uh, but with multilateral <laughs> treaties, yes. 
So, so, but, but, let's say you were in a negotiation, just hypothetically, uh-huh. or you were anticipating a negotiation mm-hmm. along the lines of the one that Joe just mentioned here, and the counterparty in the negotiation said, "You know something? We're going to double down in these two areas." Would you mention it? <laughs> Would you if, bring it up? Well, <laughs> Would you do something you know, to suggest you weren't again, happening? If, if you're not Donald Trump, yeah. If you're not, if you're basically anybody other than Donald Trump, then you do something that, and the something ranges from, "Hey guys, pause. We seem to have a problem here. You know, that's not what we were anticipating. Back to the drawing board, etc." Or if you're John Bolton and you're not actually working for Donald Trump, and so you haven't checked whatever <laughs> dubious uh. principles you had at the door, you say something like, "Well, now we're going to war with you." Too bad for all. Too bad for all the Koreas. See ya. Um, but you do do something. If you're Donald Trump, I don't see why you would do something. I, I don't. I mean, I, I do think it's quite clear that Trump's calculations are not reality based. Mm-hmm. That that he his base his base cares what he says, and they don't care about reality because they're in their own little bubble and they're they're just getting a kind of echo chamber to his comments. So given that they don't care, he has no incentive whatsoever to have a real negotiation of any sort with anybody. You know, the, the I think the only question here is to what extent he lets his people call the shots because he's gotten bored with this by now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's John Bolton calling the shots, then then we move towards a scarier situation. If it's Jim Mattis calling the shots... Then you're then... being literal if it's John Bolton. Right. I am. Well, but, yes. you know, yes. I have a different image here. And again, you know, we, I, I do like the image David, of Donald... David, I think we have had enough of you. <laughs> well, you'll like this one better. I do like the image of Donald Trump naked and erect. No. No. But 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 here's another one, um, Corey. This may not mean much to you because you'd have to have a television for it to mean something. Um, but do you have a TV yet, Corey? No. No. Okay. I'm serenely not in need of one because I can stream my St. Louis Cardinals games on my computer. Mm, well, that's 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 certainly something. But I was thinking of John Bolton in the outfit of one of the handmaids in The Handmaid's Tale. Because here is John Bolton. Here, here, here is John Bolton. You know, That's actually funny. You know, blood dripping from his bloodthirsty mustache. You know, you know, just eager for war with somebody, and yet his job seems to be placating Kim Jong Un and and now Vladimir Putin. How humiliating! Yes, yes. yes. How, he is. He is really. You know. You do. You say check his principles at the door. I don't know. Principles. Uh, no, I'm okay with him checking his principles at the door, since his principles are also terrifying. But d- d- does that imagery mean something to you, Corey? Or, or yes, I've actually seen still photographs. Wow, black and white, black and white. Tail. Yeah. <laughs> right. Corey lives in sepia. Well, it's a kind of amazing. <laughs> You know, you say it like it's a bad thing, but those nice sepia tones are actually quite flattering. I, I mean, here's a question I'll I'll ask you, Joe, because you know more about this than I do. But but I mean, I, I do think there the the question that people ask, and I feel like I don't know enough to to have an answer. Um, there's sort of two variants. You know, one is well, you know, okay, we only have nine nuclear nations. But we haven't had a nuclear war yet, and as long as the nations that have nukes aren't actually nuts, you know, that's kind of okay. The world doesn't end, and we would rather not have more, but, you know, as long as get Kim Jong-un 
Kim Jong-il before him that they're not as crazy as they seem. They don't want to be obliterated from the face of the earth, um, that they're using this as as leverage and as defensive protection. That's it. And the stakes are not as high as the neocons have always said they are. You know, this is the lefty peacenik critique, right? The lefty peacenik critique is, you know, it, it, they're right. It's not fair to just have these these small number of powerful nations have nukes. And, you know, we're not saying it's good for them to have nukes, but we can't really argue this that is they're... the lefty peasnik concept of redistribution of nukes. <laughs> yes, correct. Everybody should have some. Everybody should, That if anybody gets them, it's not fair for just the powerful to have them. And, and he's not crazy. And why shouldn't he get to defend himself? And as long as he's not crazy, wow. as long as they're not crazy, we don't really have anything to worry about. So that, that's, that's one. Yes. Right. And and the other piece of that, um, often but not always raised uh, at the same time, but they, they can be separated, right, is the sanctions don't work. They're not working. They never work. Um, they, or at least they almost never work. The few times that we can come up with arguments that say sanctions work, for instance, ending apartheid in South Africa, was when there was a viable internal resistance movement that was asking for the sanctions that when you don't have that, that all sanctions do is further isolate uh, a regime, make them crack down even more domestically on their internal enemies, starve the very people who you uh-huh. don't want to hurt. You know, so 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 that that critique, and I never quite know how to respond to this because I'm I'm skeptical of it, but I don't have the the level of granularity that would let me respond persuasively. It sort of says. So what? Let them have nukes. They're yeah. going to repress their people anyway. They're going to they're going to cheat on the sanctions anyway. But that's just as well because these sanctions aren't working and they're probably hurting the wrong people anyway. You know, the world would be better off if we just said, "Go ahead, North Korea, wow. have a nuke or two, maybe not three or four, but a few." You know, and we'd kind of really appreciate it if you would stop repressing your own people. But we realize you're only going to do that in your own good time. And meanwhile, uh, we're going to get rid of the sanctions anyway because they're clearly pointless. I hope there's a but coming at the end of this. No, so, so so these are the questions. Help me, help me, help me, help me. If, do you hear those and say they're completely, utterly, totally wrong, or do you hear those and think, you know, well, there's some points in there, but not that many. The, the, Joe's writing this down. I I know, I'm keeping to track. our listeners, that Joe is taking notes. They're both completely wrong, and here's why. Okay, and, and there's been a school of thought. Kenneth Walsh is the most famous. Uh, proponent of this that says everybody should have nuclear weapons. Right. It's this crazy right. idea. Because look, these are stabilizing factors. Right. These are deterrents. You won't go to conventional war if you have nuclear weapons. The problem is we're dealing with human beings here who go to war for all kinds of crazy right. reasons and all kinds of miscalculations. Prime example, World War One. Just you know, well, and, then, and, then there are the three hundred million guns in the United States, which <laughs> right. get used all the right. time. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So if you think this is true, I mean, if you think the guns are a deterrent, you know, look at us. Look right. at what's right. what's happened to that that theory. Literally, everyone in the U.S. has guns. And so, of course, you're dealing with miscalculations and misunderstandings. So, so this is what exactly mm-hmm. what, this is not a new debate. So this is exactly what Kennedy was worried about uh, over over fifty years ago that that every war could become a nuclear war and the superpowers would be drawn into those wars. Mm-hmm. You don't want that kind of world. And and what's happened since then is basically been proving Kennedy's theory that the fewer weapons uh, there are, the better off we are. We're still not well, there so, but yet. E- but even, so if, the, I, but even if I totally – even if I accept that, couldn't I say – but as we've seen, every now and then, the costs of trying to stop a new state will be so high that it might be better to just let that new state into the club. Corey, you, you, do, have you given up 
two tiaras of optimism here? <laughs> well, of course, no, we, but we haven't I really given Joe a chance. I didn't want to trample in prematurely on this conversation to say that um, with profound respect and admiration, Rosa, that's such a lawyerly argument that ignores. <laughs> How dare you? Transition wow. That's that's a, that's an adverb we haven't heard here very much. But go on. To a world. I mean, if you think about the first fifteen years of the U.S.-Soviet confrontation, you had three Berlin crises, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And a couple of others salted in there while we were figuring out what the limits of each other's interests were and how far nuclear possession would get us and how strong the alliance relationships we were claiming to have were. Um, the problem with the argument that, wow, maybe proliferation will make people responsible is that it ignores the transition costs to getting to the stability of the stalemate that the U.S. and the Soviets got to. And second, not everybody's going to be us and the Soviets. So, but, but that would not be the argument. The argument is not that proliferation makes people responsible. The argument would be that the, the destabilization, that the potential destabilization inherent in keeping one more state from getting them is potentially greater than whatever additional marginal destabilization of having one more nuclear state, right? Right. right. So we're not, we don't have sanctions against the Israelis, right? Yeah, but we're not trying a, to... Well, there's another argument, right? Which is that the de, the stabilizing yeah. effect between mm -hmm. the U.S. and the Russians was not purely rational or perfect, right? And there were several times that we came very close to not actually being stable. Mistakes yes. were made. No, yes. and, I'm, uh, and I'm never going to disagree with you when you tell me that people are prone to acting crazy. Well, and also, the, I mean, in the Cuban, Cuban Missile will... Crisis, we yeah, were yeah, actually yeah. wrong. Yes. There were nukes right. in yes. Cuba. Yes, and 150. The, and, the, and there were some pretty close calls. And there is a theory, uh, uh, just a law of probability, that suggests the more actors who are involved the greater the probability somebody's crazy of an error or right, right? Mm -hmm. so so here's the, this the, so the test case right now is north right. korea right so they've got a number of nukes it's unclear how many somewhere so between 10 to 60 kind of 10 deal. to 60 that's roughly the, the estimate range and depending on well, it doesn't matter so do you go to war right, to right. stop them from keeping that arsenal? Right. Well, what you're afraid of is that with that arsenal, they will someday launch a nuclear war. But if you go to war with them, that day will be now. Right. So because they've got them. So so that so so mm -hmm. that's your the cost of, yeah. of trying to stop them by going to war is too high. So you well, just, you you just back, put it much better than I did. You Thank fall you. <laughs> back to you fall back to sanctions. Can you pressure them? Yeah. But sanctions have never pressured a country into right. compliance or collapse. Okay, They're well, just a tool to get so you what to do negotiations. We do? So there you, you have go. to okay. you have to convince them to give up the weapons, and that's the essence of the NPT. That is exactly what the NPD did. It convinced. But we tried. Countries. We said, guys, we really think you don't need those. Please give them up. And they were like, nope. North Korea. Yeah. Well, this, we are still in this Trump experiment. Or, mm -hmm. You know, is is he? Did he accidentally stumble into something by giving <laughs> him the carrots up front by creating the conditions that might convince Kim to trade his nukes mm -hmm. for economic uh, 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 ties, um, or is or is this just going to consolidate his arsenal well, me, and mm -hmm. be the end of the South Korea-U.S. alliance? Th this is now playing mm -hmm. out in front of us. Me, there's two other areas that I want to go to here, but let, let me go to one of them now, mm -hmm. which plays into this particular argument. Um, and l let me start with Corey, who's out there, and then g you guys can come back into this thing. We're talking about North Korea as a threat um, to this 
stability that we've achieved in the NPT. But let me suggest to you there's a bigger threat, bigger than North Korea and bigger than... Is it a threat that has 50 states? Yes, it's a spur, uh, bigger than a spur in Iran. And that is a U.S. that wants to Mm -hmm. modernize its nuclear program to have more usable nukes. So I don't share that view, David. I actually think the suggestion in the nuclear posture review that the U.S. was going to um, was going to reintroduce lower yield weapons was put in there in order to give the Russians a reason to return to compliance in the numerous arms control agreements they are currently in violation of, including the INF Treaty, which this was specifically aimed at. Um, And I think getting the Russians back into compliance with agreements they have already signed is an essential precondition for us being able to continue the kind of reductions that Joe and I favor. You mean thanks to our tough stance against the Russians? I didn't say it was a <laughs> solid strategy or well executed, David. I said this was one element of it. Yeah, I, right. And, you uh, know, quickly I, cut yeah, forward I, two weeks to Donald Trump sitting there with Vladimir Putin going, Would you like some little crumbled eggs on top of your caviar, <laughs> boss? <laughs> yeah. No, I. I I think everybody who is worried about the NATO summit going sideways mm-hmm. the way the G7 did is uh, not worried. They are all not worried enough. Um, <laughs> They're pretty worried. Yeah. I, and yet, I think they're underestimating the likelihood of the president paralleling his choice on exercises and deployments of U.S. troops in South Korea. Because, no. wow, these are expensive. Why isn't Germany doing more? But the, no, no, there's there's us? reports. There, there are reports that the Pentagon was asked to price out pulling the troops out of Germany. Yep, yep. I mean, yeah. Pull them out of South Korea, pull the, them out of Germany, and world peace will break out. That, yeah, it's totally, totally not a theory. But let me, let me go to you, Joe. What do you think about more usable nuclear weapons. Oh, good. Weapons. Thank you, because I wanted to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, I, I'm afraid I have to disagree with Corey. Uh, this is twice in one podcast. Uh, unnerving. Uh, I think this is basically a, a contractor service um, idea. The, the Navy has these very large nuclear submarines with very large nuclear weapons on, which are basically unusable in many of the conflicts we now have, except it's sort of in the background. Like, and so they have a way to make their big, big missiles now more usable for combat, take the big bomb off and put a little bomb right, on. Right, little tiny nuclear bombs. Uh, little, not tiny nuclear, but Hiroshima size. By the, and, oh, and, and, and so tiny. this... Tiny. Yeah, tiny. Just destroy a medium-sized city. <laughs> medium-sized city, <laughs> that, right. that's right. And so this then percolates all the way up, and nobody says no to it, and then there's a strategic veneer that's put on top of it. This is going to be a bargaining chip. This will be the counter to what the Russians are doing because the Russians are doing it anyway, so we have to do it also because we have to keep pace because we can't let them achieve equality or superiority any level of the escalatory chain. Well, we've heard that song for a long time now, and I've never found this to be true. I just don't believe it. You don't need this as a bargaining chip. You don't need it to deter Russian behavior. What you need is a president who's willing to stand up to the to the Russians and not agree, as we all are afraid that 
Trump might do at his meeting with the boss to agree to the annexation of, of Crimea. But, and but, but, but and here, you don't need nuclear weapons to make that decision one but, way or the other. But there's another problem that goes with this. And, 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 and Rosa, as the expert in the law, but also on rationality, let me turn to you I'm on a, this. I am, in fact, an expert on rationality. Thank you, <laughs> <Yes>. David. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we, we sort of look at nuclear deterrence and predictable behavior in the context of rational actors and always the great x fact is the irrational actor and in this particular case the notion that we might someday have an american president who would say well we have these small nuclear weapons why not use them all of a sudden seems trump has said he said that he said that right during the the campaign campaign, he said why do we have these weapons if we don't use them he said europe is a big place we could use them in europe i mean just if we destroyed one or two medium-sized cities there'd be lots left over (laughs) exactly places he's never heard of (laughs) like you know like his own hometown in germany right right well exactly well they say my favorite (laughs) quote from the president this week was uh after he had suggested that the European Union was as much a danger to the United States as China was. Uh, he doubled back, to, evidently doubled back to say that he had nothing against the EU. He'd been there. He'd been to the EU. He'd been to the EU. <laughs> well, that's, of course, reminiscent of, uh, I can't remember, was it George W. Bush who commented, or was it, I, I get all these nitwits mixed up, Dan Quayle, George W., you know, who said about Latin America, you know, they've got a lot of different countries down there. That was Ronald or maybe Reagan. It was, well, that, that was Reagan, was Ron, you know, but it was Dan Quayle who expressed South surprise America. that they don't actually speak Latin. <laughs> oh, no, America. that can't be true. Yes. Oh, no. Anyway, so Jesus, Corey, Donald what, Trump is not the well, first All I can ask is, Corey, what took you so long to step away from that? party <laughs> what i, I thought she would step away from no her she did not step away you from did her. not follow george will <laughs> yeah no she didn't follow george will exactly um, all right let me let me get to one other question here on this uh, nuclear themed issue okay. and by the way i you know as you were talking about this i was thinking well what's the logical conclusion of this thing smaller and well, smaller nukes and now we have little drones the size of bumblebees well, yes. so you could have nukes the size of bumblebee mm-hmm. poop that could go and fly <laughs> off and just, and just destroy blow up like a Starbucks. Joe's house yeah, yeah. yeah. seriously today, actually all of the no. innocence of my 19th century uh, not knowing these things is, is being shattered. <laughs> well, the army is, by the way, there was a story this week that the army is now uh, investing in and planning to deploy with troops drones the size of your hand, yes. essentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know could be used by little sort of squad level troops. You out don't there read in enough junky fiction. I'm waiting for the swarms of nano drones that are invisible. They're like gnats, smaller than gnats, and they they're go in little me. swarms. I see them at night. Yeah. They're all, are they <laughs> they're real? Watching I you. thought they weren't real. They are real. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. I want to go to one other thing before we get off of this uh, or conclude this episode. Another of the big breakthroughs of the Trump administration, for which we are so grateful, um, is stepping away from the Iran nuclear deal. Yes. Because the Iran nuclear deal, as we know, had a big flaw, which was Obama. And it had a big flaw, which is that it was going to keep them from having nukes. <laughs> nukes and now right. we see that we don't like that. Right. And that does not. That is bad right. for ratings. But, them right. having nukes would be much better for ratings. Um, and so, but, but, but we pulled away from it. Now, in theory, I believe, if I recall correctly, we were pulling away from it in order to produce a better outcome. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, Joe, how that's going. 
<laughs> that car has not left the garage. <laughs> it's still there. Uh, no, there's no no better deal in sight. No process for getting a better deal. Uh, it's it's quite the opposite. So if you listen to John Bolton's interview on Face the Nation over the weekend, he was basically asked two two lines of questions: North Korea and about Russia. But what he talked about was Iran. And he he brought it up in in almost every response, and 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 what what he and it, what he thinks is going to happen at the summit, and maybe we'll get to this later, is, is that a deal could be made uh, with to get Russia to force Iran out of Syria to pull them out of out of Syria, and if they don't do that, well then we're going to have to take aggressive action to stop the Iranian uh, advance. And of course, we have Israel and Saudi Arabia who are eager to do this. So in order to get to that state, to have the war that John Bolton has wanted for some time now, well, one of the things you have to do is get rid of the Iran nuclear deal, which set up this process of negotiation, which was standing in the way. He's done that. So now he's on to phase two of this kind of plan, which is to stir up a much bigger war in the Middle East than anything we've seen in modern history. Yeah. And let's set aside for a moment the fact that the Iranian advance has had Iranian-backed Hezbollah in Lebanon well past Syria for a long time. Right? Yes. But, you know, that's, who's counting? Since the 81 Lebanese war, I think it, it was. Since, exactly. Uh, but, 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 Corey, do you see, I mean, you know, TR of optimism time, any benefits? Just today, the day we're recording this, the administration began to lay out their plans for reinstitution of the sanctions on the Iranians, correct? I believe they did. Yeah, starting starting, starting, starting oh, with yes. auto sanctions oh, yes. and then moving on to the snapback of everything else soon. Um, so maybe this is the beginning and we're pressuring them and it'll all work, right? Maybe. I Here's my optimistic take. Um, that is that it will be impossible to tell the effect of U.S. sanctions on Iran because the larger trade war we are going to have going on with our actual friends and allies will make it difficult to separate this out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This is a yeah, great point right. because all this is happening at the same time. Because you've got to remember, we don't do business with Iran, so our sanctions are aimed at our friends who do. So this is all going to come at the same time. We would put these sanctions in place in, in November as these tariffs are, are building up. So we're going to have one giant global trade war, and Iran will just be one front in that war. By the way, I think the trade war is an interesting analogy in that – Trade wars also have deterrence involved in them and also have costs involved with them and also, therefore, are things that rational people don't enter into, and we're entering into one. Yeah. And so, you know, this is just proof that, you know, sometimes rationality does not – does not play here. It <laughs> doesn't get you far. This is what you get when you have a TV personality for president and a TV personality for economic advisor. Well, yes, right, who – is willing to lie about anything about anything if he- uh, but 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 rosa you know we, we, maybe maybe we're just too nerdy <laughs> I, you know i mean because like the american people don't seem to give a crap um most of them don't this is not actually uh, new right i mean i mean americans uh to the great sorrow of um us foreign policy types in washington 
almost never vote based on foreign policy. Things things have to get really, really bad. You know, there were a couple of years during the height of the Iraq war, for instance, when right. clearly American voter distress at the uh, increasing uh, casualty count in Iraq uh, did influence voter behavior. Um, but it's rare. Most of the time, Americans aren't closely following foreign policy news. Um, and even to the extent that they're following it, that's not what they're baiting, basing their voting decisions on. Um, I think that that's likely to continue to be, you know, things have to get things have to get really, 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 really right. scary and bad before Americans start voting based on that. But have it become an issue of war yeah. or peace. Yeah. And then they will vote on that. Well, we could be in such a situation. We could be. In October, yeah. November, with yeah. both Iran and North Korea. Right. Although, and, and I also think that we, we have fairly conclusive evidence so far, you know, that absent absent a nuke landing on their actual doorstep, that the people who are still saying that they like Donald Trump in the polls, oh, yeah. they're not going to be affected. They're, they're not going to change their minds. Well, I was their reading... minds are essentially unchangeable. And the outcome in the elections will probably depend on which party can mobilize its base to actually get out and vote uh, and whether the the far right succeeds in suppressing voter turnout in Democratic. So districts. can I ask you a question? How how did the demonstrations that happened over this weekend about keeping families together influence your view of who's going to whose base is going to be mobilized more? <sighs> it didn't particularly. I don't know if it added anything that we don't already know. Um, I mean, I, I think it's great to see. So many Americans, particularly younger Americans, feeling motivated to go out yeah. and do something. Historically, that that too hasn't always translated into actually going to the polls. Um, right, or but here doing we are in, you know, in yeah. late June, July, no, and there was so, a million people on the streets think, on a very hot weekend. Yeah, so I think, ve- I mean, on the one hand, right, I think very, very clearly there is a very, very motivated Democratic base. Yes. Um, Equally clearly, there's a pretty motivated, hardcore Trump-supporting mm. base. Um, and I think that they're willing to engage in all kinds of dirty tricks, right? And I don't think the election is a foregone conclusion in either direction. Yes. You know, I, I think other wild cards and, you know, wild cards include dirty tricks by the American far right uh, and information, internal information warfare by American players and internal, external manipulation of both both on the sort of information front and and on the electoral systems integrity front by external players such as Russia are are huge wild cards. Yeah, we're out of the foregone conclusion business. And if we're not, we should be. Well, and also, I mean, Corey, one of the things that seems to be the case is that what is sort of red meat for Trump's base is not always rational or in the national interest, right? So I was reading an article about people working in America's biggest nail factory are going to probably lose their jobs because of the steel and aluminum tariffs. And they're like still pro-Trump because they're pissed off at the world and they want somebody striking out at the world. And, you know, you could have with Iran, you know, you could have Trump bring us to the brink of war with Iran and North Korea in October and with his base, that could play well. You know, it could play as he's being tough with them, right? I mean, is that possible? Yeah, it is possible. I think it's actually, again, our current national crisis is an enormous boon to political scientists because we are actually. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. And that is why you have the full tier. employment of political scientists act. It's exactly right. This wow. is a full employment program. Trump is helping the economy, but we're actually going to get a real time test about whether American voters are 
at this anxiety-riddled moment actually more interested in their economic well-being or in vice signaling, right? Like somebody who's willing to say their darkest, least appropriate feelings and lash out at an international order and a domestic peace that has been very much in favor of our country's interests. I think we're getting a real-time test of it. And whether, you know, Harley Davidson and General Motors and others who are now, you know, many business leaders, um, uh, you know, we're super happy for Trump to be elected. And I've continued to support him because tax cuts, because rollback of the regulatory and administrative state. And they are long overdue to be worried about the rule of law in our country and the kind of seamy corruption that the president routinely engages in to have business effects. And so, you know, they too are likely to get a hard lesson in all this. Right. You know, Corey, I just want to say, because you're such a stickler for civil military relations hygiene, that it strikes me that once General Motors ceased to be primarily a military (laughs) contractor, it should have been called Secretary Motors. Because I absolutely agree. From now on, I will call them nothing but Secretary Motors. <laughs> and you were exactly right, David, to correct me on this issue. I thank you. Yeah, no, no problem, Joe. You wanted to say just, something. Just to Corey's depressing point. Uh, <laughs> we, we have we apparently have about one third of the country that want Donald Trump naked on a wrecking ball. They want him doing exactly oh. what he's doing. Wow. We, we, I mean, we, the only thing I would add to that is that we, we tend to too narrowly think of these issues as <clears throat> are voters rational actors or are they not rational actors? And we think that the rational voter votes their economic self-interest. Um, I don't think it's irrational for people to decide that sort of tribal identity trumps economic self-interest. Yes. You know, I think and I think that on in. We we may we may think that they will come to rue the day. We may think that it's bad for the rest of us, et cetera, et cetera. But but I I think that we political scientists tend to be too quick to dismiss that that sort of identity politics as as non rational behavior. Mm-hmm. Whereas in fact you know day to day day to day unless you're actually starving and being hit by bombs, at which point you tend to get much more pragmatic really fast. You know until you get to that point that identity and sense of community cohesion often is much more important to your life day to day than, you know, the marginal changes in your economic well-being. That's a good point. And it's the perfect point to get you thinking in a way that will have you prepared for our next episode. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that next episode. Uh, but but Yikes. this is exactly the direction I wanted to go with it. Um, I do want to say one thing, which is I really, we are all very grateful for all of the submissions that we've gotten of people who wanted copies of David Sanger's book. His, so many great ones. His mom, his wife, his, <laughs> all the members of his family. Um uh, wrote wrote in his dog also requested one, but so did a lot of Are other people. Are we pe- sure they actually want a copy of the book? His well, his immediate family. Well, it's possible, but in any event, we we. But one of the things I didn't count on was I said 
uh, here and elsewhere that it, we would uh, leave this open until the end of the day Monday. We're recording in the middle of the day Monday, which means we can't make the judgment actually until next Monday. And so we will make the judgment next Monday, announce it next week, and then the week after that, when Sanger gets back from his travels around the world, he'll sign them. We've got to get him an auto pen, that, that yeah. poor guy. Yeah, no, it's true. He's been, he, the, I can just imagine the, the the book tour. Meanwhile, so just hang on, and 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 uh, we will we will announce it next week. Uh, but we've had some really really good ones, some very special and funny, and also a little weird ones. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, f- for now. Um, on behalf of Corey and also Rosa and Joe and I here in the Ministry of Sweat, um, which is what the Ministry of Snark has been briefly renamed since we have to turn off the air conditioning in order to record the podcast. I've lost five pounds. Yeah. It's wonderful. No, it's, <laughs> that it's, explains it's, it. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's really kind of kind of something, but it adds a little bit of drama, kind of the third degree element to this whole thing. We thank you for joining us here um, for Deep State Radio, and we look forward to you joining us again in just a couple of days for more Deep State Radio fun. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.